Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. Today we have got a guest which I'm really delighted to have on and really excited to be able to have a chat with. It's a lady called Priyanka Patel. She's based in Manchester and she's a pharmacist. Now Priyanka got in touch with me via Instagram. She slid into my DMs and you know I get a lot of listeners that message me and it's I love it so much. They tell me that the podcast has really helped them and different episodes and what I loved about this conversation was that um, Priyanka is deeply involved in um, the NHS and making change and she's got some big big ideas of how to help other people with ADHD moving forward. So I really appreciated you, you know, having some courage and getting in touch and, you know, offering yourself as a guest for the podcast. So welcome. I'm delighted to, to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, I wasn't expecting you to reply. So it was a very long shot. But honestly, this uh, means a lot. I'm glad to be you know, given the opportunity to to share my story and what I'm trying to do. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, I know you are a pharmacist, you're based in Manchester and you work for the NHS with the crisis mental health team. So we're already sort of working in an environment where um, I'm sure ADHD is probably quite, well, I say undiagnosed ADHD is probably quite prolific. You were only diagnosed relatively recently at the age of 28. So you have gone through quite a lot of your adult years undiagnosed, dealing with a lot of mental health issues yourself while working in this environment, while studying as a pharmacist. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for you. Can you give us a little bit of a snapshot as to how your ADHD showed up and what led to your diagnosis? So... It's actually really funny. I am one of the people who saw a TikTok video and was like, oh my gosh, this sounds exactly like me. And I think, I don't know if you agree, there's there's a there's a big controversy going on at the moment because a lot of people are going to their doctors because of things they see on social media, specifically TikTok. And for me, I'm a massive advocate of it. I share a lot of content on TikTok about ADHD and I owe my diagnosis to that woman who posted. So that's how it started for me. And I had been diagnosed with depression a year before that and nothing was really working. And so that kind of was like a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh my God, this sounds like me, this makes sense. And then I think what everyone does is they go on a, a mad a mad one and they go down the rabbit hole of Google and then, you know, they look up every single symptom and they look on 
every single website that has anything to do with ADHD. And, you know, I was so sure. And because I worked in mental health, I knew what the diagnostic criteria was. I knew what resources I had to use. So I was completely convinced. But unfortunately, my GP didn't share the same view. Uh, They changed my antidepressant. They continued to refer me for therapy. They were just like, no, you, you don't have it. You don't have it. Went to therapy, same thing. It was kind of brushed off. I don't even think my therapist even... I don't even know if they heard what I said, but um, yeah, afterwards, I would think I was a bit too scared to mention it again. So that happened. And then when I moved into this house, this house that me and my partner recently got, I signed up to a new surgery and same thing happened again. And, you know, the longer that it went on, the more fed up I was getting, to be honest. And then I think in about, I think it was April time, actually, or even in March, actually, yeah, went into my GP, all guns blazing. I was like, listen, you are sending me for an assessment now. Like, I'm not leaving because you have no reason to not send me for an assessment. I took the diagnostic criteria with me and I was like, look, these are my symptoms. How can you not send me? This is ridiculous. So luckily, me fighting like that, I finally got referred. And it was a very long wait, I'm not going to lie. And my mental health was deteriorating a lot to the point that I you know, I had to move back home to London for a few months. Uh, I had to quit my job because I just couldn't handle it. And things were just out of control. I had to get my dad involved who really, I'm not going to mention the ADHD clinic because I don't want to badmouth anyone, but they weren't really doing their job properly. They didn't tell me when they got my referral. They, I phoned up multiple times. They gave me so many different timing, you know, of like, oh no, you'll be, you'll hear from us in a few weeks. Oh no, it'll be six months. And, you know, it was just getting too much. And, It was just like, you know, my GP had sent expedite letters at this point where they'd specified my history of self-harm and that I'd have to move home and all of that. But they weren't doing anything, which, you know, was really shocking. So in the end, my dad, who is literally my hero because he got it all sorted for me. um, So, yeah, I got diagnosed finally in August and got put on medication quite quickly because of my risks. And then, yeah, here I am. Uh, The medication is literally transformed my life like I'm not even being dramatic it really has which is you know just more confirmation that it was ADHD all along so yeah that's how it all kind of happened for me Wow thank you for sharing your story I know it's you know hard to talk about such vulnerable times um do you mind me asking so you were put on antidepressants and as someone with you know pharmaceutical knowledge and scientific knowledge was the antidepressants even making any difference and because this is I, we hear this story a lot that it's misdiagnosed anxiety antidepressants mm-hmm. and yeah. you know that the signs and the, and the symptoms just stay and then the, we get put on the ADHD medication and then you know we, we really do notice the difference was there anything going off for you before you saw the TikTok um, videos of there's something completely different going on here um did you know did your training come into into play at all yeah so with with depression I think it's very difficult when it comes to ADHD because you've got two parts of it so either the symptoms which you're showing have been misdiagnosed as depressive symptoms or your undiagnosed ADHD symptoms have then led to depressive symptoms which I think is what happened with me because when I was on antidepressants, it was helping a bit. Like I did feel a little bit better, but 
it was just the things of, you know, not being able to get up and go to work, not feeling motivated, not being able to control my emotions. Like I was so forgetful. Um, I locked myself at the house like so many times. I literally had to phone my boyfriend crying, like, please let me in the house. I'm outside like shivering. Um, it was just daily things, which were just a nuance. And it was like, there has to be someone else going on because, you know, I don't really feel that sad anymore. I feel frustrated and upset because of all these other things going on in my life, which just nothing really seems to be helping no matter what I was doing. I would try and set alarms to make sure I was on time. Like I would try and make reminders on my phone to make sure I wouldn't forget things. But I just felt like my life was out of control and I have a very boring life. So, you know, even... So even that I couldn't handle. So that's when I saw that TikTok, I was like, this makes sense because they can't just keep upping my dose if the symptoms aren't really being relieved. And yeah, that's kind of like the connection between ADHD and depression in a, in a summary. Yeah, because what you're describing is, you know, on one hand, you are highly academic, clearly a very clever person. Um, Thanks. (laughs) And well, you know, listen, you can't go through your pharmaceutical training and degrees and all that without having it, you know, um, intellect. (laughs) But that's the thing is then and then we wonder why we have such negative self-belief and we have such a lot of, you know, self-criticism because on the other hand, we're like, we're locking ourselves out of the house. We're forgetting things. The yeah. amount of times I've left the key in the door and we then we call ourselves ditzy. Other people call us ditzy. Other people are like, oh, your head's in the clouds and why can't you remember anything? And it's all those confounding um, beliefs that we have about ourselves and then, you know, potentially from family members or friends where it may be said in a jokey way, and we kind of don't understand ourselves. We don't understand why we have two different parts where there's so many things that we can do brilliantly, but very simple day-to-day functioning things we find, you know, so tricky. And very often we focus on those things as opposed to the amazing achievements like degrees and jobs and um, all sorts of things, writing books and being an amazing artist and all the things that kind of other people might go, wow, but we're like, well, we burnt the dinner again, or I forgot to pick the kids up, or I can't remember when I need to change the bed. And these little things mount up, especially, I, I talk about this all the time, is like, as women, because those little things kind of come to like who we are as women. The um, societal you know, expectation. Inter- yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you talk about your dad and your dad was obviously um, amazingly helpful and understanding. From coming from um, an Asian community, family, was ADHD, I mean, was mental health issues even discussed? How did that sort of manifest for you growing up, especially if you did suffer? Um, you know, when when did your mental health issues start coming about and how was it dealt with within your family? So I think growing up, I always had a lot of self loads of low self-esteem issues. I wasn't a very confident child. I didn't have a lot of friends. The only friend I actually had in high school was a friend that was actually very toxic. You know, she would always put me down. She wasn't a very nice person. And she was my only friend. I didn't really have a choice, I felt, at the time. So, you know, my self-esteem was just completely battered from the ages of 12 to 17. And even in primary school, I used to I really have trouble making friends. And I don't remember enjoying school at all. I'm not going to lie. I really did hate it. And you know, I don't think it was ever really picked up by my parents because they probably just thought, you know, oh, she's growing up. She's having a bit of a bicker with the girls in her class. Like it wasn't really noticed. But 
I guess like when I was diagnosed with depression, I didn't really speak about it with my family because it's not really stuff that we talk about. Um, you know, it's just not really within our within our house. Like it's a bit strange. I mean, um, I'm just trying to think if there's anyone in my family who would speak to this about, but but there isn't. Um, and then it was a year after I was diagnosed when I decided, okay, I need I need medication. Like this is just getting too much. And you know, I tried to explain it to my mum, but she was you know, she wasn't happy with me starting medication. And I was just trying to explain to her, like, you know, I just didn't wake up one day and, and say, oh, I'm sad, I need medicine. Um, you know, it was a long decision, but I think she just didn't understand because I think a lot of traditional, um, I wouldn't say she's traditional, but she's from an older generation. You know, they've been through a lot to come here. You know, she went through a lot um, when she was younger and when she had me and my siblings, like, you know, living with the in-laws, like coming to a completely different country, like building your life, like completely not dismissing that. But then I just don't think they understand that our generation have their own problems, even though to them, you know, we have everything. That's what they think. Um, so I think she just didn't understand because in her head she was like, I've given you this, I've given you that, you you have a stable relationship, you've got a good career, like why are you sad? It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, she kept trying to talk me out of going on medication, but, you know, it just, I decided to just, you know, do what I thought was best for me. And then, you know, my brother and sister did know, it wasn't really anything we spoke about. I mean, I'd have breakdowns at home when I'd visit London and my sister would just get some of my friends on the phone, you know, put the FaceTime on and be like, she's crying, I don't know what to do. Because um, my sister's not very, uh, you know, she, she's lovely, but she's not very in tune with her emotions as much as I am. Um, and then when the subject of ADHD came up, like I said to my parents, I was like, did you not think I had it as a child? And my mum and dad, like my dad was working all the time. So I don't even think he noticed, to be honest. But my mum, she said she suspected it, but she didn't want to have a child with ADHD. She didn't want me to be put on medication. She was worried if I got diagnosed that they would put me on medicine. And this is where a huge problem lies as well, is with the stigma of medicating children because people think that it's such a bad thing. And then you've also got the, you know, the aspect of I was their firstborn child. They think children, what if this is what all children are like? That's what they also thought. And then, you know, just the, the stigma of it with Indian culture about having a child with ADHD. I don't think it's something that they wanted to accept because at that time, my grandparents possibly would have blamed it on, on their parenting or, you know, or you're giving her too much sugar, you're not disciplining her. So, you know, there was probably a lot of reason as to why they didn't get me tested. You know, it feels a bit, I feel a bit betrayed because if I had been diagnosed, I might not have had such a difficult childhood and, you know, growing up in school and all of that. But um, yeah, then when the subject came up again, like my dad, so he didn't really understand, but he understood that I needed this. He was really open to learning, like bless him. I still remember like he would come in like every day, like, a couple of times a day into the living room because I'd just be sat on the sofa all day because I just couldn't do anything. And he asked me questions and he just wanted to know about it and learn about it because he was, he didn't realize that this was something that could be a possibility. So he was very open to understanding this. And you know what, it's very unusual, but I don't think I've received any stigma from my dad. Like he was probably the most supportive one out of my whole family, which I think a lot of people within Indian culture will find very strange. It's not really something you see with a traditional Indian father to be so understanding when it comes to mental health. 
like my mom, she still doesn't like that I'm on medication because she also works in pharmacy as well. So she knows that the medication for ADHD is a controlled drug. So she's like, oh, you shouldn't be on that. It's dangerous, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you can do it without medication. And I'm just like, mom, come on, not this again. And then when I try to explain to her, like, oh, this is, you know, how the symptoms affect me when I'm at work. She's like, oh, but all my pharmacists do this as well. And I think that's like a trigger for everyone ADHD when people say, oh, yeah, but I do that. And I was just like, my, I literally, my brain was just like exploding. So I was just like, oh, my God, please just try and understand. So I think it's just kind of chipping away because it's still very new. It's still very recent. Um, I don't know if my mom believes I have it still, actually. Yeah, my siblings, I don't really speak to them about it. They they know I have it and, you know, they, they take the piss out of me because that's what siblings do, um, you know, so... Uh, sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it, to hear? I mean, your dad sounds very open and probably, you know, quite intuitive. And, and it, it's very hard. I, I hear this a lot from people that there's just certain family members that really do trigger, you know, trigger us because they just don't want to know that ignorance is there and they're not willing to open their eyes past the medication. They're not willing to open their eyes past the old stigmas of ADHD and what it looks like. And I have someone in my family that's like that and she just poo-poos it all. And it's damaging for me and it's damaging for my kids because I don't want them to think that maybe they don't, maybe, maybe they don't need help. Maybe, you know, they're imagining it. And it's a very tricky one. So I, I I just sometimes think there's certain people that we open up to and there's certain people that we, we sort of just create our little kind of energetic box around and, yeah. um, and, and, and hope that, you know, one day they will understand. From a med- medication perspective, and again, you know, I've, not, I've never had a pharmacist on the, on the podcast before. And there are people out there who are nervous about taking medication and they do, even though they've been diagnosed and and maybe their kids are on medication, they worry about themselves going on a medication. Maybe they've tried one type, it's not worked and they don't want to try another type. Um, Is there anything that you can, you know, from your background, talk about with regards to the medication? Because we read so much about it when we hear how helpful it can be. But there is a a part of us, there are many of us who have struggled with the medication and it hasn't agreed with them. And they have to commit to life with managing lots of the holistic and the lifestyle without medication. What are your thoughts, I guess, trying different types? And I'd love to hear your, your journey and how you feel on your medication. Yeah, so the way that most of the ADHD medication works, so the first line is stimulants, which I think a lot of people are very sceptical about. It's just really important to remember that if they were that dangerous, they wouldn't be allowed to be prescribed, end of, you know. So they are licensed in this country. And people think that when you take them, you're going to have this sort of, you know, magic effect and you're just going to be like, your whole pupils are dilated. You're just going to be like, just in the zone, completely working. But if you have ADHD, it's going to be such a subtle effect. Yeah, so you'll get titrated very slowly, depending on a lot of factors about yourself. If you have any cardiovascular issues, if you have any other previous mental health diagnosis, um, you know, they take everything into consideration and decide what is going to be the best thing for you. Um, so most of the time they will start with a stimulant and, you know, titrate it up very slowly to make sure that you're tolerating the side effects usually some people find with stimulants they have increased anxiety symptoms 
which is normal. I experienced that as well, particularly when I went from the jump of 36 milligrams to 54. I was freaking out because I thought, oh my God, like this is too much. Like I'm going to die. But but it it went after a few days. It's just because of the dose increase. So a lot of the times when you you start medication and you, you feel a certain way, you feel really jittery and anxious and on edge. And sometimes it can lead people to be like, no, I don't want to take this anymore. But it usually goes after a couple of days. And you know, I think up to 80% of patients actually are successful with ADHD medication. My nurse prescriber told me ADHD, once it's diagnosed, is one of the most easiest things to treat. So, you know, people have to to go in with an open mind and realize that this medication is really, really going to help them. I would also say, though, if you have a diagnosis of anxiety before the diagnosis of ADHD, just take a bit of caution with the stimulants because sometimes they can make your anxiety symptoms worse. So it's really important that if you are started on a stimulant to make sure you're letting your prescriber know if your symptoms are getting even worse and completely unbearable because then you have non-stimulants which can actually work even better, particularly if you have more of the inattentive symptoms as well. But medication, it will help a lot with, you know, the focus, concentration, just the motivation of being able to get up and go do things. For me, like that was the most substantial thing. Like my boyfriend came home and I was cooking dinner and he was just like, what, what has happened to you? Who is this woman? You know, I'd folded the laundry, I'd I'd taken it upstairs. And he was just like, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know what's happened to you. So, but yes, it's not a magic pill. That's something else I want to reiterate. It's not a magic pill. It won't solve everything. Like I still am struggling with, you know, certain things as in my hypersensitivities. I, I get really anxious if I'm in an environment where it's really loud or there's just too many people and I'm struggling as well. We're trying to keep my irritability in check because a lot of things irritate me and you know I'm still very forgetful I'm not gonna lie I did yeah I do forget to do things but it's just about trying to then manage those symptoms because then you know what actually is something that can be managed with drugs and then what some the things that can't be managed with drugs. So I'm just interrupting today's episode because I want to let you know about a new workshop that I am holding on Friday, November the 18th at 2pm UK time. And this is going to be a live ADHD EFT tapping session. And it's all about releasing indecision, procrastination and self-doubt, something I think we all know really well, something that I've definitely suffered with um, over the years. So this is for you if indecision, procrastination, self-doubt overwhelm your everyday life. And if you're desperate for more clarity, maybe some faith to help you make decisions and move forwards. Perhaps you recognise there's a lack of self-trust that's preventing you from creating the life that you are secretly desiring. And you're just ready to release old beliefs, stories, mindsets, conditioning, and as well as the energy, that negative energy that's holding you back so you can welcome in a deeper level of trust into your inner wisdom. Now that inner wisdom is always there. And what's amazing about EFT tapping is that when we do some tapping, it's kind of like the WD-40 of our body and we oil the, the resistance and we bring up what's been holding us back. And then we're able to release the things that have been sort of oppressing and suppressing us and welcome in new perspectives, mindsets, ideas, insights, you know, whatever that is with regards to your inner wisdom. So I'm going to be um, facilitating this workshop. It's going to be 45 minutes. I've made it super, super affordable at £18.50 and there will be a recording so you can go back and use the tapping. Now, if you've never done EFT before, 
it's very calming, it's regulating, and it reduces the cortisol in your body. So even if it's just something that you are looking for just to sort of help calm your nervous system, so you are able to tap into more clarity, it can help with anxiety, depression, trauma, pain, it improves sleep, it reduces tension and stress, and increases the the calmness and the ability to be able to see things from a different angle, I would say. So if this is something you're looking for, if you're looking to sort of move into 2023 with um, a newfound inner strength, more resilience, more trust and belief in your own decisions and the choices that you want to make, I promise you this workshop is going to help catapult you there. And if you have any questions about tapping EFT, there's lots of information on my website and you're able to purchase the tickets on there. So head to my website, which is ADHD Women's wellbeing.co.uk you'll find all the details on the event there you can buy the tickets there or just head to the show notes of today's episode and you'll also find a link to the tapping session I really hope to see lots of you there because I'm so excited to guide and facilitate this so I hope to see you there on Friday the 18th of November at 2 p.m now back to today's podcast can I ask again just going back to the medication for somebody um, that understands, again, the science behind it, the pharmaceutical side, how do you help yourself, you know, if you aren't feeling hungry or say the medication has made you forget to drink water and you've just been like on one or you've hmm. you've been sort of hyper-focusing, how do you offset some of the, I'd say, maybe be the more, um, the trickier traits of the medication? Because I know, you know, from my daughter, very often she gets a headache or she feels quite jittery towards the end of her yeah. um, the day on the medication. And as a mum, you know, I want to be able to support her. What do you do for your, you know, to make sure that that the when the ending of the medication is is coming up, mm. how do you you make yourself feel better? Yeah. So I think the headaches. I have definitely gone through that. I think I was having really bad headaches over the weekend. Um, but it is also to do with the fact of not remembering to drink water. Mm. So what I've now got is one of those you know those huge two liter water bottles Mm. (laughs) so um I'm trying to get it into my routine every morning that when I go into the kitchen to fill it up and then kind of just keep it attached to me because then Mm. if it's always next to me I think if you have to keep refilling a glass you're less likely to keep hydrated and remembering to drink especially they do yeah exactly so if you (laughs) have like a huge water bottle with you just have to fill up once and then just, you know, keep it, keep it with you for the day. And, mm. you know, I think that's a, a really good way to make sure that you're keeping hydrated because, you know, if the medication is prone to give you headaches and then you're prone to forget to drink because of your ADHD, those two combined, oh my God, like the headaches are horrible. They are horrible. So, you know, you, you have to, In it's just, it's vital to make sure that you're remembering to do that. Um, and I know like sometimes when the medication does wear off, towards the evening it can be quite difficult because sometimes some people are more sensitive to the the dopamine withdrawal effects of the Mm -hmm. medicine basically methylphenidate it can come in different formulations so you've got the short acting one the kind of intermediate acting one then you've got the long acting one so I'm on the long acting one which is called Concerta so it's got a patented formulation. So when it, you take it, about 20% of it is released initially, um, which is great because it kind of helps you get up and get going with the morning. And then the rest of the 80% is released gradually throughout the day. And then, you know, 
comes to a peak and then it comes out of your system slowly. So I think with a longer acting medication, you are less likely to feel those withdrawal effects. So for me, I think it has worked quite well because I need that morning boost. And then, then I get the peak of, you know, I can do loads of things probably around this time, actually. So, um, you know, that's why I think concerto is used quite a lot. Then, of course, depending on the person and how their, you know, their day-to-day routine is and when they need to be the most productive or when their symptoms are really flaring up, then that's when they decide on different formulations as well. So then there are natural ways to kind of boost the dopamine within within your brain. So, you know, just I know I know it sounds really silly, but yoga is actually really great. I always do, you know, evening yoga. Um, I'm it, I really struggle with it because I can't sit there in long poses and you know just allow myself to be in the moment so I tend to choose the yoga routines that are very like you're moving a lot of the time but um you know you it's a way to kind of you know make yourself feel good you know eating nutritious foods as well there's loads of foods out there which can really boost your dopamine so you know I would really recommend natural ways on top of the medication so that when it comes to the evening time you're not feeling that you know irritable and just you know out of it because um I did yeah I did experience that initially because it was quite new to my system but with time and with the right tweaks and you know with the right medication plan uh, it should hopefully you know settle itself yeah thank you for that it's, uh, it's mm. so interesting isn't it because I know it, it it's always you know everyone reacts differently but um I think to be able to just kind of bust a few of the myths with regards to medication especially if we're sort of on the fence I mean I took medication I'm not taking it at the moment but I always say you know if I need to I will and I'm not holding back from that and I know I'll find a medication that works just right now I manage it through you know all the little lifestyle things that I've got in place. Um, but I'm also very privileged to, to you know to work from home, to work my own hours, to be able to go out and walk the dog when I need to kind of clear my head and I can feel the irritability mounting. I have lots of mechanisms that I've put in place. If I worked in an office that was very stimulating with lots of people around and I had to work set hours and um, I, I think I would 100% have to be on medication. I would have to be changing the way I, I live. But I recognise the privilege there of being able to be my own boss and um, pick and choose my hours. And when I need to kind of decompress, when I need to just get away from people, noise, everything, it's just, I think it's just getting to know yourself and how you operate on, you know, very personally, and then bringing in those those um, tools and tweaks that can yeah. help. So funny thing that you're mentioning about the, the office working, because you probably understand and know this, there's, you know, a media frenzy at the moment that loads of people seem to be getting diagnosed. And that is a part of it because of the way that our working life is at the moment. There's a lot of office work rather than laboring work. Mm. When you have ADHD, laboring work is actually better for us because we're using our hands, we're being physical, we're being creative. But for us, office work just doesn't really mesh with us. So that's when the ADHD symptoms are really gonna show and flare up. Because I think without the older generation, because of the type of work they were doing, it was kind of managed with their working life because, you know, they, you know, it was helping them in a sense. But now because everyone's at desks, at computers, like, you know, in big meetings, and then you've got the pressures of, you know, society as well, that's all kind of flaring up the people who have ADHD. So it's really important to remember that, you know, 
ADHD has always been there. It definitely has always been there. It's just becoming more prominent now because of the way society is and that people are raising awareness, people are speaking up about it. And it really, really irks me when people are like, oh, it's a trend. Like, oh, it's, you know, I, I have ADHD too. <laughs> and honestly, I just want to smack them across the face because I was just like, I would love to be neurotypical. It would be amazing to not have all these little annoying bloody things. Like ADHD tax is so stressful. It's the worst thing. And then for you to make a mockery out of it and laugh about it and say it's, you know, it's a cool trendy thing. Just mm. go straight in the bin, please. Anyway, just thought I'd add that in. <laughs> no, I 100% agree with you. You know, when people turn around and go, oh, you know, like TikTok has is, is created all like all these ADHD people. It's like, absolutely not. And like you say, it's mm. always been there. And it's just fascinating to think, isn't it, that, you know, even we can just offset some of the ADHD symptoms by movement. And, you know, we say that like weight training and anything like that, where we are moving our body and bringing more creativity, what sucks us dry and what kind of decreases our dopamine is the sitting in front of a screen mm -hmm, exactly. and being made yeah. to sit and not move and conform. I would say that if you are sat in front of a computer every single day and you're feeling the, the dopamine levels, you know, crashing and you can feel your mental health suffering find ways that you can move your body like cycle to work walk to work leave the car at home walk to the exactly. bus stop yeah. do what you yeah. can do to move your body because you will feel better that's the sitting yeah. i feel it i have this like impending doom if i've sat for too long the rest the inner restlessness i still find really hard to articulate even I've been I've been sat watching my favorite TV program, I can feel like my mood levels crashing. Yeah, and other just people sitting down the whole time. Yeah, sitting for me is a problem. I know. Like for, for me, for example, with my job, there is a lot of computer work involved because we have to do medication histories for the patients. So my line managers were, and you know what, they've been absolutely brilliant about this. Like it's really meant a lot to me. They sat down with me for two hours on a team's call to kind of discuss all of this and what accommodations they can make. And I did say to them, like, doing one task or something sat down for the whole day is something that I'm not going to do. I will not work mm. well at that. So, you know, she's made it a point to keep my day very varied so I go to two hospitals every day and I get to speak with the teams and which is a real social anxiety for me but I'm I'm pushing through it one-on-one -on -one, I feel like I'm great like I think I'm quite a nice person one-on-one -on -one, but you know when you when you walk into a room of people you don't know like you know it's like I just want to melt into the ground so I'm working on that but um you know it's just about keeping your day varied and you know I actually met a masseuse this is really random back in London and he had ADHD and he was telling me that to keep himself you know kind of stimulated throughout the day he does masseuse he does PTing he does something else can't remember what it was but he does different things throughout the day mm. so I'd highly also recommend that that you know to keep yourself moving but also to keep yourself doing a variety of tasks and if you know there's there's a long task that you have to do split it up into little increments because you know it just doesn't work with the way our brains are we can't just sit there for that long love it and the fact that you <laughs> had that conversation with your line managers and you were able to be open about your the accommodations that you need and for them to have you know factor that in it's so powerful because it that really is. Yeah. that is make or break between i hear all the time people leaving careers and they've worked so hard to get to where they are but so then sad, their working know, yeah. day is is just too difficult for them mm. to just you know and that variation of what you're talking about it can be brought into so many different areas it doesn't 
you know, we, we can just be a bit more open-minded. We can just get curious. That's why I love what I do because I'm talking to different people all the time. I'm learning. Like, I know my values now and I didn't mm. know them. So it's like understanding your values. For me, it's connection, curiosity, learning, um, you know, find, finding common ground with people, helping, yeah. being of service. So I'm like, bringing that in creativity there's lots of c's there yeah um you sound exactly like me literally i think <laughs> i don't know if it's an adhd thing but i think it's yeah a lot of those traits are like we're just so curious yeah. and i think that along with you know the empathy and wanting to help people like yeah. that really helps us flourish and whatever careers can offer that so you know that's probably yeah. why you're doing very well at what you are <laughs> Well, it's, it's just understanding your values. And when you go off track and you're working in, a, an, in an environment or you're living a life that is not aligned with your values, it's repressing, it's sucking us dry, it's not filling our soul. So from a very practical, but also I think from a spiritual level, we have to be aware of this. We have to know what's guiding us because we either learn to thrive with our ADHD and there's lots of ways that we can. I'm fully oh, yeah, aware, definitely. but I'm also fully aware yeah. of what can really bring us down and really create, you know, huge problems and havoc in our life. So it, it's creating awareness. I want to talk to you before we end how you are moving forwards. Now you've got your ADHD diagnosis and you are, you know, talking of wanting to help people. There's um, for you, there's some social reform that you want to be doing. You want to be helping more people with ADHD. Tell us a little bit about your plans because I love this. It's big and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I don't know if I'm being completely unrealistic about this, but I have such, I have a huge vision about changing the way that ADHD is sort of dealt with. So my goal at the moment is to really try and improve access for women because when I was sharing TikToks about what I was going through, I had a lot of women reach out to me it was really bittersweet because I was so overwhelmed by how lovely and supportive everyone was being. But then at the same time, I was like, why are there so many women who have been through what I have? Uh, it just wasn't right. And then, you know, I made a video then about like, you know, what I wanted to do to kind of improve with the NHS on, on how ADHD is dealt with. And I had a, this, a lot of women who were really supporting and wanting this to move forward. So I am trying to get a project moving within my NHS trust it is a bit challenging because I work in secondary care. The issues that I want to solve are more within primary care, within actually getting that initial referral. So I have to kind of work with my trust to figure out what type of project I can do that will allow me to take time out of my secondary care job and then working within a primary care setting and then to actually benefit a secondary care setting. So it sounds very complicated. I don't know if I'm mm. confusing you, but no, um, yeah, so I think a lot of, um, you know, the evidence that I've, I've gathered, I've spoken to, you know, a director of an ADHD company and, you know, psychiatrists from other companies as well. Like, you know, I've really networked quite a lot to try and figure out exactly what the issues are. And I think everyone can agree the issue does lie with GPs. I personally experienced it and I feel a lot of people have experienced it. And I do think the way moving forward is to really have GPs truly understand what ADHD symptoms look like in women, because, you know, there are so many things which affect it, like puberty, menopause, you know, or, or hormones, everything to do with that. Then, you know, the fact that we can be misdiagnosed with other disorders more than men and that more women tend to show inattentive symptoms compared to hyperactive. And, you know, if we have hyperactive symptoms, they're not 
seen as hyperactive because we might have like really restless mind which is a symptom of hyperactivity but we mask it because you know we were talking about this earlier about societal expectations that we have this pressure as women to appear a certain way and then then you know I'll bring in culture again because when you're in an Indian culture you have the expectation to be like you know a good housewife a good mother to keep everything running and that's already hard but when you don't have those executive functioning skills that's even harder and you know I've been called lazy I have been called all sorts of things because I just can't do it and you know my family call me Hurricane Hilda when I go back home because everything is just a mess and no matter what I do I just cannot get everything in order so you know there's all these things which are just making it so difficult for women just to get that first step to get the referral so that's what I'm really trying to work on and um, I need to work with my trust to see if there's a way that I can do this because nothing like this has been done before and that's what's making it quite hard because to get funding you have to kind of have some sort of evidence that you know this is going to be successful you're not going to be wasting your money this is going to work but that there's nothing like this out there everything out there has kind of identified what the problems are but then it's like why has no one done anything about them you've told us okay there's abc going wrong but then why has no one actually done anything to to make this better which you know really baffles me we're going into 2023 and there has been nothing on trying to improve access for women to ADHD services it's it's absolutely shocking i think but i'm going to try to do that and then because i work within secondary care another thing which i do really want to try and do is is help with the waiting times because that is just it's a joke i know people are waiting years and years on end and you know i want to find out exactly what the problems are within these the secondary care clinics like why is the wait so long is it because of the backlog are there not enough prescribers I've also found through evidence that sometimes why the wait is not long is because GPs just aren't giving the right information and then they have to relay it back so then this goes back to GPs again about you know increasing awareness and education I mean there's been studies which have shown that GPs actually say they want it you know they're undergrad and you know postgrad and then training to be a GP there's nothing in it about ADHD in women you know I've spoken to GPs about this and there's a real gap for this so yeah that's my my plans it's in very very early stages I'm still trying to figure out what my first step is going to be because I think I need to figure out exactly what because when you get a research project done you need to kind of satisfy all sorts of parties so you have to satisfy your employer to take time out satisfy the people that are going to give you funding and then you know also, also satisfy the people who are going to be supervising you and you know putting their name on the project with you as well so there's a lot that goes in it and I know initially I'm going to have to do a lot of stuff by myself which isn't funded which I'm more than happy to do to kind of you know evaluate the service as a whole um, and then we also need to look at you know the follow-up with ADHD clinics as in why do they just give us medication and then put us with our GPs and that's it you know you have to do it holistically give us coaching help us with lifestyle improvements help us with diet hacks there's so many things which impact our ADHD symptoms you can't just give us a pill and then say right this is it just go you'll be fine it's not right and I just don't feel like people with ADHD just get the recognition even after getting the diagnosis on you know how severe it is um so this is something that I'm really trying to push because I don't think people understand how 
undiagnosed how undiagnosed ADHD can really impact your life and I feel that's why there's not enough funding for these services because I think because of the stereotype you think okay if someone's not diagnosed or treated they'll just be a bit hyper they might not be able to focus a bit but you know it'll be fine no oh my god there's increased risks of suicide increased risk of car accidents increased risk of comorbid mental health conditions financial debt broken relationships you lose your house your kids there's so many things which happen which the NHS funding body or whoever it is that decides where the money goes I just don't think they understand and this is where we really have to show them and say look this is the reality of what's happening just because you can't physically see it like a blood clot or you know or, or an infection doesn't mean that it's not important so yeah there's a there's a lot to be done and I really do hope that I can you know, spend the rest of my, um, you know, life and career trying to work on this, because I think I've really found my passion with what I want to do. And, you know, I want to try everything, even if it means I'm ramming down GP doors being like, look, I've got a leaflet about ADHD in women, you have to read it, I'm not going to leave until you read it. So, you know, that I'm going to figure out a way around this. There's, there's, I feel like if you are determined enough, and you have enough motivation to do something, you will do it. And I think as well, this is where I feel like my ADHD has helped me a lot because when you hyper focus on something and you absolutely love it, you put all your time and energy into it. And like every day I'm working hours on, you know, gathering evidence, making my Instagram posts, making TikToks just to raise awareness and to work on it in a research perspective as well. So, you know, I really do hope I can make change, even if it's just one woman that I can help when I am old and in my 90s, or I hope I live till at least 100 <laughs> or whatever, but, you know, I will die happy knowing that it's just even one woman that I helped. Oh. Well, listen, I mean, what you're saying is is so powerful. And, you know, just I know there's a lot of GPs that listen to this podcast because they message me and they tell me they refer women, you know, who've had a diagnosis, they refer, refer people to listen to the to the podcast. So if it, I would like to say if anyone is listening that's a GP to get in touch with you, so I think what you're doing is incredible. My only thing that I will say to you is please don't burn out. <laughs> look after yourself. Please yeah, look after no, yourself sorry. because we need you. We need I... you to um, to do this, but not at the expense of your own health. Yeah. And yeah. I think with ADHD, we go into such hyper-focus mode that we want to help and we want to do the thing and we've got all this ambition and drive. And then before we know it, we're on the floor with burnout and exhaustion and we are no good to anyone. So I would say, please do this, but please also look after yourself as well. Yeah, don't like I like I told you I don't really do anything socially because it's cold and you know I only like interacting with people that I it's either one-on-one or people that I know because I just I don't know I just can't be bothered to like to go out and, and and do things like I do like the comfort of my home and like doing like my yoga and my fitness and all of that but um I did want to add on actually to what you were talking about about the screening that is something which I have mentioned because I found that out of the women who've been late diagnosed, ADHD was never considered when they came into the GP. And that is a real, real problem. Because I think just asking the one question, like, did you have symptoms of ADHD when you were a child, perhaps, would then really just start it off. And even just doing an unofficial sort of diagnosis, because I know GPs can't diagnose, um, even doing some sort of unofficial questionnaire just to see if it is this, that could potentially save you from, you know, prescribing like an antidepressant or giving them a diagnosis, which might not be right. And then you can work with them 
on ways that they can manage these symptoms until they get their assessment. Um, you know, I think that would be the way forward. And then within secondary care, what I will try and do is see if there's way we can, ways we can utilize different practitioners to help within diagnosing and assessing. So, you know, the wait time goes down and then, you know, there's proper follow-up and all of that. So yeah, there's, I need to write this all down because I feel like it's all just like, <laughs> like going crazy in my head. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, I've got so many ideas and so many things which I want to do. But then um, because I'm quite new to, what, you know, research and stuff, um, I, when I had the meeting, you know, with the department last week, they were kind of highlighting a lot of things which I hadn't even realised. So, you know, I've got to take a step back and just think realistically, how can I do this with the most success? Because, you know, it, like you said, it has to has to be done by someone, and I hope I can be that person. Oh. Well, listen. If anyone's listening to this and they think they can be of help to you, they can connect you with the right people. And um, tell tell people first of all how they can follow you on TikTok, Instagram. You know where can they find you? So my username for both uh, social media is Little Miss underscore ADHD underscore. Um, the username was already taken, which really annoyed me. <laughs> so I had to get a bit creative with it. But yeah, so that's my TikTok name and my Instagram. So um, I recently have started my Instagram, but I'm trying to make it more educational based in a sense, because I think there's a lot of good accounts out there which kind of explain what ADHD is and also explain like the behaviors and, you know, kind of help reduce the stigma but I think there needs to be a bit more educational part of it as well so people really understand you know why does this happen what you know how is this medication helping me in a sense because I want to use my expertise as a pharmacist to, to to show that as well so um yeah and I spend a lot of time making these posts so I hope people like them <laughs> oh, well honestly thank you so much for your time and your effort and your help because I know that you will be serving um, a lot of people and thank you for getting in touch putting yourself forward because I think this conversation is going to be um really really helpful for a lot of people especially you I'm know glad. having a pharmacist telling us you know what's going on with the medication but just hearing about your plans as well I, I feel that big change and big reform does need to take place because there's a lot of women that have you know you know been part of this lost generation that have been misdiagnosed and you know given all the wrong medication and they're only finally understanding how they can help themselves so let's not do this for the next generation there's too many people at stake and it's not that rare ADHD so there's a lot of people out there with ADHD who are not aware of of it and I know that they probably do need a lot of help so thank yeah. you for everything that you are doing and I hope maybe we can get you back on in maybe a year or so and you can give us a bit of an update as to, to yeah, where definitely. it's all gone that would be amazing that'll be good yeah that'll be great definitely thank you so much all right thank you for having me so that's today's episode done did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.